Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. Everyone deserves the presumption of innocence. Democracy is facing a crisis of trust. This is a fraud on the American public. We don't trust in governments. The people that are supposed to represent us don't do what we want. A national anti-corruption commission will finally be established. Can we go back to that fateful date in 2017? What did you hear that day? A judge told me I was guilty. Guilty of what charge? Being accessory to misconduct in public office of a uh, member of parliament. The controversial mining exploration licence that he gave to John Maitland. You can't challenge ICAC. The people who have been employed in ICAC think they have a crusade. In this crusade, there's no rules. You know, we can do whatever we like. We go wherever we want to go, and it's like pulling the wings off butterfly. That's a quote. Wow, that's scary. That much power in the hands of one person. This is the sort of stuff that comes from countries where they've got dictatorship. There isn't the rule of law. Where are we going? John Maitland, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you, Mark. You look like a man who's lived a life to me. He's got that swagger about you when you walked in and when you sit down. Someone's not too fussed about the frills and furbelows of life, more about um, fundamentals. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, but I have enjoyed uh, my life and um, I have had access to things that probably a lot of people would not have access to. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I've... I've been lucky in life. Can we go back to that fateful date in 2017? Yeah, well, I heard uh, a judge tell me I was guilty. That was uh, an enormous shock. Was it a judge, Jim. jury or how No, it was a jury, yeah. A jury made the finding of guilty. Yeah, guilty, yeah. And, guilty um, of what charge? Being accessory to misconduct in public office of uh, a uh, member of parliament. Well, how do you feel when that happens? Well, it's a yeah, very unusual feeling. Um, I I was stunned. Um, I thought this can't be possible. It, it's um, this is a dream. Um, I'm having nightmare. a nightmare. Yeah. And um, but then the realization came that uh, well, it's um, it's happened. And uh, I then started to think, oh my Godfather, what's going to happen to my family when you're found guilty? Um, it really means that you're going to be incarcerated. You have to think about, wow, what's going to happen to my wife? Yeah, so a lot of things went through my mind. Um, was your wife there in the court? No, she wasn't. Yeah. Um, the reason she wasn't there is because she was so stressed. How did you tell her? Uh, my daughter. Well, your daughter uh, was there? My daughter was there, yeah. Tears? Yeah, well, my daughter was uh, 
rather, well, she was um, very aggressive. She actually grabbed me by the arm, virtually said to them, no, you're not taking him away and uh, was very brave. Good honour. And what was the sentence? I was sentenced to six years with a non-parole period of four years. And uh, How old were you, were you at the time? That stage in, uh, what do we say? Uh, 17. Yeah, 2017. Um, six years ago. Yeah. I was 71. 71. Yeah. That's a big deal for a 71-year-old. Yeah, uh, well, um, it's not what I didn't even think about that, you know. I didn't think about my health or anything. I was just stunned about um, what had taken place. You were know? you healthy at the time? Well, I'm a bit like the $6 million man because I've got um, two metal knees. Uh, I've had operations on my shoulders. Um, so, yeah, I'm, 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 I was pretty healthy and, you know, I am pretty healthy now, yeah. So you get six years, four non-parole. They wheel you out to the big house. Where would you end up going? Uh, Silverwater. Yep. Um, that's where you normally go when uh, you're waiting on being sentenced. And, um, yeah, well... Um, I could hardly believe it, um, you know, being taken to this prison with um, the likelihood of uh, spending a lot of time um, in and around um, those institutions, yeah. How does a 71-year-old who's, you know, not from the mean streets, you're not out there, you know, in a gang, in a bikey gang or something like that, I mean, that's not your go, uh, how do you get on in prison? Like uh, especially someone like Silverwater, which is a big remand centre, like a lot of bad dudes out there with serious intentions, you know, like shit goes down. Um, how do you deal with that? Like, what the well, fuck? I've had an interesting life. I spent a lot of time at, at the head of the trade union movement, the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. Is that the CFMEU? CFMEU. Yeah, pretty yeah. famous. Yeah, yeah. Still, today, particularly today. That's yeah, sector, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have members who come from all walks of life. There were a few of those members um, in the uh, Silverwater Institution and when I went in, I really didn't have any difficulties because I was pretty well known. Well looked after. Yeah, when you say well looked after, I mean um, you've got two things, treatment by uh, this, you know, your fellow inmates yep. and then treatment by the institution. So so when you say well looked after, yeah, I, yeah. I can't say well looked after. Not well, yeah. <laughs> no. I can say, though, that I didn't have any problems with uh, the people who were in there. In fact, uh, it's very interesting. A couple of stories I could tell you about. Share. There are a lot of different uh, people from different walks of life. It was very interesting that when I was first put into a section, I was put in with uh, a Muslim section. It was rather strange, actually, because here I am as a Christian being put into a Muslim section. It just so happens that my son's partner is a Muslim girl. I had photos on the wall of the family in the cell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have what they call sweepers, an inmate who's given responsibility for, you know, cleaning cells and doing other little odds and jobs around. And um, uh, the sweeper came into my cell and looked up and saw um, a photo of uh, the family uh, in their normal, you know, their religious clothing. And uh, I was asked, wow, Johnny, who's that? And I said, well, that's my son's partner. And I was told, Johnny, well, we will look after you. <laughs> um, so this might seem strange, Mark, but I didn't have a difficult time in prison. But that's not to say my family didn't have a difficult time because my wife and I were living west of Kempsey on a, on a small farm and I would have liked to have been allocated to the Kempsey prison because there is a prison at Kempsey. But when my sentence uh, was announced, I conducted my interview 
all the issues that, you know, may have, uh, I was sent south. That was the thing that, you know, annoyed me. Do you really. they do it on purpose? I How's just I can't say that they did it on purpose because I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. He's John Maitland. Um, you know, he's a CFMEU character. I, I, look, Mark, I, I just couldn't say that. But, you know, in my own mind I have to think, well, why well, would not think that my wife have a shorter journey to, to visit me in prison? I want to go back to John Maitland, CFMEU. Back in the uh, 80s, there was a, a big move to reduce the number of unions um, in Australia. Who was in power? So uh, so early 80s was Labor, then Liberals came in after that. Yeah, well, the Labor wanted to see. Well, Labor wanted to see. You know, I, I think it was uh, a genuine attempt to sort of reduce the amount of conflict that took place in, in industry, you know, because there's a lot of competition between unions as well. You know? and, and it was that was Hawke-Keating era. Yeah. Yeah. The aim of the government at that stage was to sort of improve industrial relations um, in the industries that I was involved in. We were the Miners Federation, which was which covered coal miners, and then we had the AMWU, which was the metal workers. Then we had the ETU, which was the electricians, and uh, then we had the deputies, which uh, covered one classification of uh, statutory uh, people. Yeah, it made sense that uh, we should all come together and uh, that's basically what happened. We were given the opportunity to look at where we were best placed. The union that I came from were, were underground workers and uh, a lot underground of Underground miners. Yeah, underground yep. miners and uh, the surface miners were in a different a different union. So it made sense. Why did John Maitland get involved in underground mining? Were, were you a miner and you saw something happen and you thought, I've got to stand up for my mates or what? how did you get involved in that? <laughs> This is uh, an interesting one. I actually uh, came from Cairns. I played rugby league. I was offered the opportunity to go to uh, Collinsville, which was a, a little mining town, as a paid player. Yeah, footy um, player. So that's how I ended up in the mining industry. When you were a footballer in those days, they used to offer you some uh, accommodation, small amount of money, I can tell you, a very small amount of money because the wages were very, very low in the 70s, you would get employment as well. And so that's how I ended up in the, in the mining industry through, um, through this. And then I married a local girl. Uh, father was a miner. That's how I ended up in the industry. But the first mine I worked at, there was um, an explosion which destroyed the mine, obviously had uh, a significant impact on me. Any lives lost? Uh, it was on a weekend and fortunately in those days uh, the production was only Monday to Friday so there wasn't a large number of people in the mine uh, and it was an electrician who was do- doing live testing so he was opening a, a panel on, on what was called an, an auxiliary fan uh, and of course in mining you need um, good ventilation and so you have these big fans which are run by electricity. The electrician had taken off the, the cover, obviously was testing it, and you have explosive gases in most underground mines, coal mines in, in Queensland. It obviously, uh, the spark caused the methane gas to uh, explode and destroyed the mine. Murdered the electrician? He was killed. Killed. Uh, yeah. That mine closed and uh, all of the workers from that mine were then employed at their other other mines and... Um, uh, I was uh, I was sent uh, to Collinsville. Um, that's where I uh, did most of my underground uh, work at, at Collinsville. What was the point at which you said, I'm going to join the union, in fact, I'm going to become part of the movement? What, what, what sort of spurred you on to do that? Um, well, because I, uh, I undertook uh, some study and got some qualifications in, in mining, I was then invited 
to be uh, on a couple of uh, inquiries by the, the warden into fatalities in the mining industry. Um, the first one was um, uh, in 1979 at an outburst of coal and gas at a mine um, in, it was called Leichhardt um, in, in Blackwater. And so I sat on a, on a panel which was, um, I mean, uh, the mining warden actually does the inquiry, and, but the mining warden is, is very much like uh, the coroner and is, he's the local magistrate and what he does is he needs um, somebody with mining experience to be able to help him through the process and so I was invited to assist the, the mining warden um, in this particular tra- tragedy um, and then um, I, I was again invited to, to uh, assist the warden in another one uh, which was a Mara number four um, where 14 miners were killed and that, that took place in uh, 1986 and so being exposed I mean, these are open inquiries, I might add, because the families come along. They're, they're allowed to be there. And so you, you, you're exposed to, you know, the sort of heartache um, and heartbreak um, that families experience when um, their loved ones are part of, a, you know, a disaster. And, and does that spur you on then to, well, stuff this, I'm going to try and do something about it? Um, well, I can't say that that was, you know, I'm going to do something about this. It, it just sort of fell into place for me, you know, that, um, God, let's, let's try and do something about what we're, we're all experiencing because the statutory qualification I had required me to actually inspect the mine, um, before the workers went in there. And, um, I had to make sure the mine was safe. Um, and I had a, a report book, um, a statutory report book, which I had to, my view of what you know, the conditions were and each of the miners were able to read that report before they went underground and then I was required to expect, uh, inspect, you know, the mining operation every four hours. And so, I don't know, it sort of grew into me or grew, you know, uh, I grew into it. Wow. I thought, well, you know, um, we've got to do something about this, you know, because there were a lot of fatalities in the mining industry. It's, in, it's improved uh, enormously and, you know, that's great credit um, to, uh, you know, government, to the employers and, and obviously to the workers who, um, who've obviously worked very hard to, to improve that. How do we rate relative to the rest of the world? I mean, we, are we in, in good shape when it comes to, in a relative sense, to, um, safety in mines or, or are we sort of poor in Australia? No, no, no. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're sort of leading the pack. It's a, you know, it's a very challenging industry, the you know, coal mining industry, um, because of the you know, the various um, gases that you you come across, because it's not only is there explosive gases, you also have uh, inert gases like you know carbon dioxide. You also have carbon monoxide, yeah, like poisonous, poisonous gases. Gas, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it's a pretty challenging sort of uh, environment. Um, one of the more challenging environments for workers, um, but you know we've done pretty 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 good, but. Um, that's only been uh, probably the last um, 20 years, I suppose, you know. Well, why do people, I mean, uh, easy for me to ask, I'm sitting here in the middle of the city and I grew up here, but why do people take up mining today? Is it because they can earn a good quid? I mean, what's the deal? What was it like back 20 years ago when you were doing it and what's it like today? 20 years ago or, you know, a little bit more than that, you can probably go back 50 years and um, you generally found that uh, the people working in the mine were 
from the town where the mine was and it was basically, you know, uh, son followed father. Yeah, my dad worked there. I'm my dad work worked there. there, you know, and that was probably the only employment that was available. You, you can go back through the history and look at um, a lot of our traditions come from the UK and if you look at the UK, that's what used to happen, you know. You, you come from a mining town, you was expected to be a miner, yeah. you know. That was your family your family's background. Yeah, tough it out. Kid. Tough it out, yeah. yeah. And uh, But again, it was probably the only sort of employment that was available, you know. So those sorts of traditions uh, existed. I mean, um, in Collinsville where I worked, um, they'd already had, um, you know, quite some years before um, uh, a disaster which uh, and it was an outburst of coal and gas which killed a lot of miners but um, the family still still worked in the mines. You know, that up. was Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's no choice probably. Pretty well uh, yeah. no choice that that was the only employment around. Uh, and the other thing about it is too that, um, you know, miners were proud of their occupation. You know, they um, they saw that they were contributing, you know, significantly to uh, the economy, um, to the communities, and they were very generous. Generally, miners were very generous in, in, in what they contributed to the communities. You know? As a city bloke. You know, I mean, I am, I've got a country farm, but I mean, as a city bloke, I'm certainly not someone who comes from the regional areas anyway. Um, and I think a lot of people might think this is miners are staunch people and they never want to admit that this is a job they can't do. It's not too hard. Like there's a staunchness associated with being a miner and by being the son of a miner and therefore I'll be the miner as well. And you're my son, you'll be a miner because we're staunch and you're going to be staunch and... That that's sort of a, a bit of a I don't know if it's an Aussie thing, but as you say, it could be a UK thing too. But that's my sense of it all. Like, uh, and it doesn't matter how bloody hard it is, kid, you just hang in there. You you've pretty well got you're spot on. You know how um, families feel about you know their their uh, you know um, kids who are coming along. Yeah, they'll be a minor. There's no question about that. You know, blah blah blah. They're tough enough. It's 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 an interesting thing because you know I. I also spent some time in the in the uh, rural industry, you know, and um, farming is almost like that same. too. Yeah, same. Um, it's 100% the same. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's you know, something which families seem to um, instill. When you go today though, you go somewhere like Orange, who's got a big gold mine out there, it seems to be a different environment. Um, there's money, there's shift work, uh, premiums paid for the shifts, a lot safer than what it was. 20 odd years ago, I was out there recently. You go to a pub across the road from where I was staying, and they're all got their high vis on, and uh, they come straight from the mine, straight from the end of the shift. They're all there buying dinner out, they're eating out, eating Thai food and in, in, in the middle of Orange. And uh, yeah, they look like they're living the life, and they look like they've got to quit to me. So it's a, it's a different environment today. Um, yes. Uh, look, there's no doubt that, um, you know, the mining industry now provides, um, you know, good wages and conditions. There's no doubt about that. And we're very lucky that we have a very successful mining industry. Uh, but you'd find that uh, metalliferous mining and, you know, that, that includes, um, you know, gold as well, is a little bit different to coal because right. um, at the end of the shift, um, a coal miner can't go to the pub because he's generally covered in soot and dust <laughs> and, you know, um, so it's a, it's much, much more difficult. Um, coal miners would shower at the end of their shift and change into their civvies and, um, you know, they'd, um, they'd head home normally. Um, 
some would probably go to the pub, but um, not necessarily, you know. Um, it's a slightly different, yeah, but um, the mining industry does attract a lot of people now because, you know, the the wages are, are pretty good, you know, there's and, no doubt about that. And you can sort of probably, generally speaking, live in a cheaper area. I mean, you, you would expect living in Orange is cheaper than, say, living in Sydney, for example. You would expect, although that's sort of changing a little bit because those places have not enough housing and it's starting to get a bit expensive in those places. But gen- I'm, I'm, let's say prior to COVID. So given the conditions have changed and, uh, as you say, metalliferous is probably doing better than coal um, in that coal's probably still a little bit more hazardous, but things have got Im- have improved a long way from when you were first doing it. Do you put that down to better relationships between the coal mining companies well, there's a number of factors. Um, there's no doubt that um, everyone in the industry is is pretty keen to make sure that um, the industry is as safe as you can possibly make it. And um, uh, a lot of that has been driven by the past accidents and um, very, you know, significant uh, disasters that we've had. And nobody wants those. Um, and uh, the other thing about it too is that... Um, the industry, particularly uh, coal, um, is in big demand, and uh, so um, there's you know a, a, a big commitment to make sure that uh, productivity continues. Production pressure. Yeah, production we, we need pressure. to get this much out of the mine yeah. because we're going to get out to the ports and we're going to get over yep. to our customers. And so there. management is uh, you know very keen to make sure that the workers. Um, are kept reasonably happy. They don't go on strike. Yeah, that, well, they don't want strikes, yeah. you know, because uh, that interferes with uh, significant production. And so it's a combination of things. Uh, Sensible commercial reasons. Yes. But the CFMEU representing the miners, probably not that interested in commercial, commercial stuff. They're more interested in safety and good conditions for their members. And the CFMEU would be pushing for this sort of stuff, of which you remember, and you, you were one of the, the leaders of the CFMEU. You know, this is your thing. Do you ever think back, wow, I was able to fix this, that and the other and I, I feel pretty good with what I've done uh, in relation look, to your look, colleagues? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I mean, uh, worked pretty closely with the International Labour Organisation and was responsible for leading the workers' um, delegation to improve uh, coal mine health and safety because... Uh, globally, you mean? Globally because... Yep. Um, there was never any minimum standards um, globally for uh, working in the coal mines. And so in uh, 1995 and 96, um, I led the workers' delegation to the International Labour Organization on looking at uh, minimum conditions for the mining industry globally. Um, and we used um, a lot of the examples from Australia um, and those um, conditions that existed in Australia and the, the good examples I was able to use came about through, you know, quite significant struggle uh, but also realisation by the um, companies that, you know, if you want to make a, a reasonable profit and uh, have a successful business, then you have to have a satisfactory, happy workforce. Um, now, that hasn't always applied. You know, there will be arguments and, and disagreements um, at, at times, but um, by and large, um, you know, we've, we've had a fairly successful, uh, you know, industrial uh, progression. 
So, I mean, the, and the CFMUA has done a good job in relation to mines, and, and C stands for construction, doesn't it? It does. So why does the CFMU get such a bad rap in relation to some of the newspapers? I read it, read, but where, where's that bad rap come from? Well, it's, you know, the construction industry is primarily in the in the major cities and, um, you know, if, uh, if anything takes place in the major cities, well, generally the, the, the newspapers who uh, um, basically, ba- you know, are in the, in, the, in the major cities, well, that's a good story for them. Yeah, especially if it's going to sensationalise it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've got to say my brothers in the construction industry also have a, a difficult industry to be in um, because working on high-rise buildings and <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing is, is, is not easy. It's no. very hazardous. And so, um, you know, when, when we look at uh, – and, and I became the National Secretary of the CFMEU. When we look at the industries that the CFMEU covers, they're all very hazardous industries and you can understand why the workers would, um, you know, want decent um, working conditions. Uh, I definitely can. But then all of a sudden the CFMEU, as a result of that, gets a whole lot of – um, it's called members membership and you've got to pay for membership. They make a few dollars. What is the relationship between major unions and the Labor Party? I mean, how does that relationship work? Because politics at the end of the day, no matter which side you're on, <laughs> sooner or later will come bite you on the ass. It always does. I mean, I've experienced myself from for different way, in different ways, but it does. If, especially if you are seen to take a side. A lot of it, Mark, comes from uh, this historical uh, situation where, you know, workers were looking to how are they going to get a voice in parliament and, um, well, the Labor Party grew out of, you know, the working class. Um, and uh, so there's always been this uh, feeling that, well, they're our party. You know, we, we were the ones that uh, essentially built this party and they're the ones that should be looking after us. Uh, and then you get to where we are currently um, and uh, there's a lot of bloody competition in the world um, for all sorts of things. And um, so business is under enormous pressure uh, to actually compete. Um, and when you come into a global economy, it's all right while you've got a domestic economy where everything's going swimmingly but when you're in the global economy, um, there's a lot more competition, so there's a lot more pressure on companies and therefore there's a lot more pressure on the workers to, you know, uh, perform better, uh, to get higher productivity. Um, and so those those sorts of things have sort of grown out of uh, what was originally the workers' party was going to, you know, um, be our saviour. Um, and now all political parties are very pragmatic. Um, it isn't a case of, well, we're here to serve the workers. Um, it's, it's more about, you know, well, we have to stay afloat and um, our shareholders uh, need, um, you know, pragmatic decisions being taken by us and those pragmatic decisions will have an effect on uh, the workers. And so it's, it's very interesting when you see that the last election, as I understand it, Neither of the parties, neither of the, the major parties got uh, 50%. You're talking about the last state election? The last, yeah. yeah. Neither of them got no. 50, 50% uh, as their initial vote, number one. I mean, 
they were below 50% and then relied upon preferences and... Uh, well, the coalition is substantially below the Yes, yeah, sub, sub, substantially, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's very interesting that we're seeing, you know, uh, uh, quite a significant change in um, the attitude. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...of political parties and also of uh, those people who support political parties and that includes the union support of Labor. You would probably say that, you know, the the unions aren't so happy about um, a lot of decisions that are taken by the Labor Party now um, because um, the Labor Party says they're the pragmatic decisions they have to stay, you know, to, to make um, in a world of, uh, you know, significant uh, challenge. Um, so, yeah, things have changed quite considerably. A partisan opposition. And this is, goes back to the period when ICAC was looking at your case. And so Labor was in opposition, I presume, at the time. They were. And um, so which means the coalition was in power in New South Wales. And what they're trying to do, because of this competitive environment, and at the end of the day, each both the Coalition and the Labor Party and the Greens, I guess, to, they'll do whatever they can to stay in because they take the view that the only way we can make policy change or change that sticks is we've got to keep getting re-elected. You can't do it in a three or four-year period. It's impossible. Um, so because everything, if, you know, if I'm only in for one term, then whoever, if the, the opposition comes in next term, they're going to unpick what I did and nothing sticks. So if I take that high view that I'm going to be some, someone who I want to make change as a politician, as part of a movement, Labor or Liberal or co- Coalition, um, I've got to stay in for a couple of terms. So in order to stay in for a couple of terms, I've got to knock the opposition out. I've got to keep them away. So I'm going to do everything in my power to besmirch the reputation of the opposition if I can. I look around and I think, you see this thing called ICAC. By the way, having a griner. Plenty of coalition have copped it too, by the way. Gladys are going through it now. Um, but there's this thing called ICAC which was set up by the way, by Griner, <laughs> for all the so-called right reasons. And by the way, the federal Labor's going to put one of these in federally, federally as well. I see there's ICAC there and I see there's a bloke there called Ian McDonald who's the minister for whatever, mines I think it was at the time. And uh, then he's got relationships with trade union blokes. And I think why don't I somehow put this information on the table in front of ICAC who has now got an obligation to review it, would you say that they're politically commenced, maybe not politically driven, 
Politically awesome. motivated. There's no question As about it. As a commencement in yeah, terms yeah, of the way it starts. Of course, of course. So, and how does that work? I mean, I mean, you don't have to involve anyone, but like how would it work? Does someone like lay in information in front of the, the ICAC investigators? How, how does that stuff work? Well, I think you've uh, pretty well summarised it. I mean, when one political party replaces the other one, they look back at that political party and then they start telling, um, you know, the people, um, the people who are out there and um, are going to be voters at the next election, they tell them uh, how bad that uh, that one was. Well, I mean, we're seeing it now. We're I mean, seeing it now. We're seeing with the new Labor Party, both federal and statewide, yeah. they're both saying the previous administration, they don't say yeah. the Liberals are going to, but the no, previous no. administration put, a, put us in this drama, yeah, yeah. which by the way, I don't know, I'm getting sick of hearing it, but, you know, just get on with the job. Whatever. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not someone who looks back on previous administrations and blames them. I mean, stuff that. I mean, you've had a mean to fix this drama up. That's yep. why I'm here. We all know that the previous administration wasn't good enough. That's why they're gone. Um, but yeah, you're right. So the previous, so the new administration is having a crack at the previous administration. So a coalition in New South Wales having a crack at the previous Labor Party, uh, Labor Party. And they see this bloke called John Maitland, CFMEU. Trouble. Uh, what do you reckon is going, going through the head? How's that work? Tell, tell me about it. Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, um, you know, there's um, a very close examination of what took place with the previous government. Um, so that, The Labor Party. Yeah, well, yep. whatever the new government is, they'll look at the past government and uh, look at whether or not they've made mistakes or whether or not there was some deals done or whatever it was. And that's basically what happened uh, in 2011 when there was a change of government. Um, there's no question that what they did was have a look at uh, what, what took place. Um, and what took place uh, in our uh, situation was that um, a minister in the, um, in the Labor government um, did a favour for a person who was a top union leader. So we've got to have a look at that. Or so-called flavour, alleged flavour. Yeah, well, alleged just flavor. saying that that's what they're... That's what they're presented with. That's what they're presented with. Yep. And um, How do uh, they know about it, though? How, how, how do they find out about this in the first place? I mean, does someone tell on you or dob you in or well, how does that shit work? Um, there were... Uh, I mean, not everyone supports coal mining. Um, and so there was, uh, you know, um, some opposition at that time when we were looking at establishing our coal mine. Um, and a new coal mine. A new coal mine, yeah. And uh, some of that opposition came from uh, a member of uh, a member of parliament um, who was uh, who became um, a member of the, the, the new government, um, was complaining about, you know, all oh, this took place in my area and blah, 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 there should be an examination of this. And so... That's what happened. There old was a, scores? Are they old scores? Are they yeah, old scores? I th- yeah, I think that, well, not not for me essentially because I, I, I was out of it for yeah. for, for some time. Um, but it was, you know, um, they looked at, I, I would suspect they looked at Ian McDonald and, you know, let's um, let's have a good close look at uh, what's taken place here. Ian along with a couple of others because yeah. there was an investigation around a few of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Al, Eddie O'Bead, Moses, Moses, his son, both are now doing time. Um, again, and uh, there was a big investigation. Uh, yes. not, not They weren't related to what you've done or alleged to have done, which have now been acquitted of, but they were alleged still there was an allegation between McDonald and the Obeds in relation to other 
mining leases and licenses being granted in the area. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, that's so, correct. so what, tell me what happens when ICAC gets this information. What's the process? Um, well, the process uh, starts before you even know uh, what's going on because um, they have um, very, very significant powers. And um, How uh, significant? Well, they can tap your telephone. Um, Without you knowing? Without your knowing, oh, yeah, of course. Do they tap your telephone? Yes, yes. So you're having conversations with your wife or your kids or anybody for yeah, that matter and they're yeah, listening? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I um, I got charged with um, giving false and misleading evidence um, to uh, ICAC when I was called before ICAC. Um, I had a telephone call from uh, a colleague of mine from the mining industry who uh, – he was asking me what was going on and I said, well, I'm, I've been called before ICAC or I am being called before ICAC. I've done nothing wrong, blah, 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 blah. And this is 14 months before I actually went into the, the box at, um, at ICAC and, um, you know, when I actually was called to uh, give evidence at ICAC, they said to me, uh, now, you know, you're not supposed to tell anyone about, you know, being called into ICAC. And I said, well, that's what I, you know, that's what I understand. Have you ever told anyone that you were being called before ICAC? And I said, no. And they said, are you sure about that? I said, well, yeah, as sure as I can be. And they went, listen to this. They played the telephone discussion between um, this colleague of mine and myself and there it was. And so I said, all right, you got me. Now, um, that obviously was uh, a very bad start to <laughs> giving evidence at ICAC. And uh, so um, they... Did you, did you feel set up at that stage? Because it looks like they're having a crackage of character straight up. Yeah, well, I did. Yeah, I thought, this is pretty rugged, this stuff, you know. Um, yeah, so uh, it, it was very interesting, very interesting. So um, the other thing about it too is that you can't challenge ICAC. Um, yeah, you can't be represented. Well, you can't be represented um, only if the commissioner allows you to be represented. So I, I actually, um, you know, had a had a lawyer who I asked to represent me and he came along and uh, he had to seek permission from, uh, from the commissioner to be able to be there and then he would have to seek permission from the, from the commissioner to um, ask a question or seek a clarification or something like that. So it's a... It's a very interesting thing. Well, it's a kangaroo court to me. Like, I mean, it, to be, I'll be honest, like, it, I just think it was, uh, it's uh, dinosaur stuff. It's totally unfair. Um, look, I'm sure people, you know, are being correctly interviewed by ICAC. Um, I, I get it because there would be many occasions where people have actually done the wrong thing. But at the same time, everyone deserves the um, presumption of innocence as, and therefore you should be allowed to have somebody represent you and interject if you're being asked a question or ha or a question's being led to you, sort of they lead a question to you. In other words, yep. try, try and put you in a position where you have to answer the question which is maybe incriminate you, for example. Um, you need to have – I think the, our system of advocacy in Australia at least should allow you to be properly represented at all times. Um, and, and also this concept of – I mean I, I just think it's antiquated. This concept of – um, being taped well before there's any reasonable suspicion that you've actually committed a crime, for example. I mean, in the cr in normal criminal world, you can't do that. The coppers can't do that. New South Wales Police, they, can, they have to go to a magistrate, they have to go through a process. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and you certainly, certainly don't do it when someone's just, 
like effectively innocent. They haven't even got any evidence on you at this stage. It must have been incredibly breaching of your privacy. You must have felt shit. They've looked at everything, listen all my conversations. Well, not only that, um, they can um, uh, demand um, that you produce documents which under normal law would be privilege to you. In other words, stuff between you and your lawyer, for example. Yep. Stuff between you and your lawyer, they can demand that you provide that. Um, so the issue of privilege doesn't exist. Um, so yes, you're right. It's a, it's a, uh, it's an agency um, of uh, the government, which both sides are frightened of. Yeah, and the reason that there hasn't been, and this is my view, the reason that there hasn't been any restructuring um, of this organisation is because one side will say if the other side says, oh, well, we've got to change some of this because it it, um, it doesn't meet um, the rule of law. The other side says, oh, well, you know, you, you're in favour of corruption. Yeah, you would say that. Y- yes. And so... Uh, so politics. Yeah, it's the politics of it. So nobody as wants... As opposed to the fairness. That's right, as opposed to the fairness. I, I mean, um, in my background, um, I spent a lot of time internationally and, as I said... Um, uh, at the United Nations agencies and that sort of stuff. And this is the sort of stuff that comes from um, countries where, you know, they've, they've got dictatorships and uh, there isn't the rule of law, um, you know. So it may have been um, a good idea to look at corruption because corruption is obviously something we don't want. But when they established this body that had all these powers that are, you know, that um, neglect the rule of law, um, they've made a mistake. Well, that's now, a form of corruption to me. Yeah, no, They're corrupting the legal system is what I'm saying there. Absolutely. <clears throat> and no so, one's acting improperly but they're corrupting the legal system which allows advocacy. And, and see, the, the problem that we have is nobody's game to actually do anything about it um, because they will be immediately accused of, uh, oh, well, you're not worried about corruption, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm very, what would I say, um, suspicious about the intentions of having one at the national level. I mean, we have a, a court system which is as good as any court system, legal system in the world. Um, and, you know, we have a, a process where, you know, um, you can either have a, a jury uh, of your peers, or you have a judge uh, who is experienced in law, will look at all the circumstances and give you an opportunity to be able to argue your case. Now, if you've broken the law, yep, you get punished. There's no question about that. But in the case of ICAC, um, even when the court finds you not guilty, ICAC report still says that you're corrupt. So, um, you know, you, you have this position where your reputation uh, is destroyed um, and that lasts forever. So um, this is something which we, we genuinely need to look at closely. Um, yes, um, there is corruption um, in, in, you know, in, in every community and we need to deal with that, but we need to support the rule of law um, and that's where I think we're being let down. So would you support a, an ICAC, a body called ICAC or whatever they call it, um, but where 
it runs more like a court case. In other words, if you're subject to the inquiry, that you have all the rights of someone who's been charged. Would you support that or, or are you saying, no, let's get rid of the agency altogether and let's just put this in the hands of the federal police or the state police or whatever the case may be where there is an allegation of corruption? Um, look, if, if, if the compromise was to have, have a body that looked at corruption uh, but you had your rights, mm. complete rights, well, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, Quite often, maybe you know, I'm talking about a special agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ICAC, for yeah, example. like that can deal with corruption. I mean, uh, you know, the the police, you know, they probably maybe not that well equipped for it. No, that's right. They're and they're probably overburdened in any case with yep. you know what they've got to do at the present time. You know, and the courts, well, they have. Uh, you know, if you if you're going to court, you you normally have your case delayed for a considerable period of time because there's so many issues in the court. But so if there is a body uh, that is just going to purely look at corruption, yep, there's no problems with that provided they don't do it publicly. Yeah, so it's in camera. It's in held, camera. held in a private environment. Yep. It's really an investigation. An investigation is precisely what it should be. And during an investigation, if the police call me in for, you know, I, you know, they say I murdered someone, uh, I'm allowed to turn up to the interview with my lawyer. Yep. Um, if they if they're doing the interviews and investigation, it might be at, you know it might be down there at Darlinghurst or wherever it is down down central, but I can have a lawyer present, and then uh, I'm not on I'm not charged. It's not put out in the public, so that you know the media aren't feasting on this stuff, because p- part of me is the media feast. I think that's one of the worst parts of it because as you said earlier, even if you get acquitted, like and as in your case, you finally got acquitted. In other words, you were wrongly charged, wrongly convicted and wrongly jailed. The worst for me, the most heinous piece of all this is that you've got to get dragged through a public environment and before you even get charged you're, and, and it's really just an investigation. And one thing I know about people, half the people believe you're guilty and half the people believe you're not guilty. But you already got half now who believe you're guilty and that's not fair on you, especially if you're not guilty. Even if you are guilty, it's not fair until you're actually convicted by a court in the court system of guilt and you're guilty. You know, like that, that's how it's got to work. Um, so I, I, I agree. I think it should be sort of privately held. Um, you know, like it, I just don't I don't. Where do you think this is coming from? Like I don't understand this. John, help me out here. Like what the hell is the benefit of this? It goes right, right back to when uh, Griner uh, introduced this. Look, there'd probably be a general consensus in the community that mm, there's a fair bit of corruption that takes place at the you know, political level. You know? Tick. I'll tick yeah. that off, yeah. I agree. And so when Griner and I can, I'm only guessing, as somebody who was looking at uh, ways and means of dealing with what the general public thinks is something wrong with politics, um, he generally thought that, you know, we could introduce this body um, which could look at um, corruption. Unfortunately, they gave it too many powers. They, yeah. they so is that? A, so can I ask you this? Do you think it's the body itself that's sort of grown to its own, has built its own life? In other words, the idea was a good idea. The body itself, which is made up of people, have worked out we can make this very powerful because look at look at, look at, look at the breadth of stuff we've been given we can do, and they've run off. On their own, they're not. They they themselves are not being managed or or um, yeah supervised, so to speak. Well, they become too powerful. 
Well, it all depends in, you know, uh, who the commissioner is. You know, we've we've had uh, um, various commissioners come in and mine, the commissioner at uh, my time was a commissioner called um, David Ip. He was a quite famous South African. Um, yeah, very interesting. He left South Africa um, at a time when there was um, a lot of political uh, issues taking place in South Africa um, and... Um, very interesting background, very interesting background. Um, and I think he thought that there was, because he came from South Africa at that time, he just thought there was a lot of lot of corruption around. And um, so that was his view. And then we had uh, uh, Megan Latham uh, and Megan Latham is pretty famous for a, a, a lecture she gave to junior lawyers where she said, this is fun, you know, we do, uh, you know, we can do whatever we like. She's uh, the one who had the run-in with Margaret Canine. Yes. Yeah. Um, Casey. But she, you know, she actually had um, this presentation to young lawyers and said, uh, you know, um, we go wherever we want to go. Um, we really enjoy ourselves um, and it's like pulling the wings off butterfly. That's a quote. That, wow. Um, she. Um, wow, that's scary. That is scary. And uh, in the hands of one person. That much power. It's incredible. Yeah, it's uh, it's very very incredible. Um, and so that's why um, I think that um, you know the people who have been employed uh, in ICAC think they have a crusade, and um, uh, in this crusade, there's no rules. Um, well, they're given the breadth of anyway in the legislation, so they just say that you're right. This my crusade. I'm going to bring corruption to its heels. Um, and I've got the ability to do it. And by the way, I employ like-minded people. I'll go and find my own team. I'll build my own team up and we'll go out and we'll, we'll crush this. And I think that's precisely what their view is. Um, they look at everyone and say there's massive corruption out there and, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, we've got to deal with it, you know, and we're the, we're the heroes. We're, you know, um, we're the people who are going to you know, bring everyone to account. Yeah, we've got a new Premier, Chris Minns, good good fella, sitting there right in that very seat about three weeks ago. Where does someone like him go then? Does he not do anything because he wasn't elected on this as a platform? He's got his own platform. He's got a, you know, he's got a, he's got a mandate to do what he said he was going to do. It's not in his wheelhouse. Does he just say, oh, that's too hard, I'll just get on with what I'm doing? Look, um, I'm sure that he has, uh, you know, well, I know that he's got massive responsibilities. Um, boy, you know, um, it is a time when uh, politicians have a lot on their plate. Um, so you, ICAC ranks down there somewhere? ICAC does rank down there somewhere. Um, but, you know, this is a new government and um, the rule of law is an important issue. And so... Um, my endeavour, uh, knowing that election was coming up and has been to try and get as many people together who have been the victims um, of ICAC because it is an issue of rule of law. John Maitland, 2017, gets convicted, goes to jail for a couple of years. Then John Maitland gets acquitted. Does John Maitland get compensation for doing time? Um, I think it's difficult to get compensation. Um you know, because... Uh, How can we as a, a state make good to you though? Like, you know, we're all responsible, all yeah. of us. We, we live in this state. We, we, we yeah. sent you to the to the nick you had, and you had to put up all the shit you had to go through before you got there. 
or don't we give a shit? Uh, no, I think, uh, look, the, the point about it is that I'm not the only one. Yeah. It's, it's not as if. Well, I'm using you as a proxy yeah, for everybody. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So but, there is lots of John Maitlands. Well, in this in this case, um, we have, uh, you know, 3,500 shareholders of Newcoal um, who, uh, and lots of those who are mum and dad investors in the in the Hunter Valley, um, who you could almost say are patriotic, if, <laughs> if this is the right word to use, mm. but ours was a project in the Hunter Valley. And so... Um, People in the Hunter Valley, they put money into it, you know? and, and the government then, because they thought of this, because of this allegation, stripped the license away from New, took New the coal. license away without compensation, and all the people who put money into New Coal, yeah, um, were on the presumption that it was going to keep its license. So yes. you've got mums and dads invested in this business, yeah, and then with a flick of a pen, um, that license was taken away, taken away, yeah. And then, and of course, you went to jail as a result of it as well. And they lost, you know, quite considerably. So I, I, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, uh, I am one and, um, you know, I would hope that at some stage there would be compensation. But the problem that we have is that it's, it's you know, it's a big bill <laughs> and any government coming in looks at this and goes, yeah, you know, this is, a, this is a big one, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, because this this – this company was worth three hundred million on the on the stock exchange, um, and you know whilst they might look at, um, well, you know there's been injustice in this area, to go to a government and say we want three hundred million compensation, um, you know, it's a bit of, bit of wish, wishful thinking. Um, so the message I'm trying to um, to get is that look, the first thing we need to do is to say that these people were dealt a bad deal. It's acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. And then if there if there's gonna be some compensation, let's talk about it and let's let's look at it over a, a number of years. Are you surety on what's happened? Um or I, I don't think I've had time for bitterness. You know? Um Wow. I, I'd be filthy. Uh you know, I'm, I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah. You can't say I'm happy, but you know, um this might seem strange that in the period of time I spent inside, I learned so much about Australia. How do you mean? Well, I learned that um, we're not doing a very good job with our youth. Um, From what you can see inside the jail. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I came across uh, young people, you know, in their mid-20s um, who uh, had literacy and numeracy skill problems. They couldn't read or write properly. Um, and what were they in there for? Um, they were in there for, uh, theft, uh, selling drugs. And then you think, what the hell, why were they selling drugs or or why were they involved in theft? To just get by. Because they couldn't get a job. Yeah. Uh, and what else are they going to do? It's exactly right. And, you know, if you sort of think to yourself, um, boy, um, if I had a, a wife and a, a little child, uh, and I didn't have a job. Because you get, because you would go and nick it. Yeah, I think what you've revealed today, John, is a number of systemic problems in Australia, um, particularly here in New South Wales. John Maitland, thanks very much. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it.
thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Mentored podcast.